In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Tonight, you are participating in the oldest and most important liturgy in all of Christianity, the great vigil of Easter. Since the very beginning of the church, Christians have gathered in the evening twilight to wait out the darkness of our blessed Savior's death and to sing the first alleluias as the tomb is found empty by Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women. On this night, death gives way to life, darkness gives way to light. Sinners are baptized around the world, and catechumens are anointed and confirmed. As beautiful as this liturgy is with the candles and flowers, the incense and the heavenly music, for many people, the doubt still arises in their hearts. Is this just all wishful thinking? Is it just an empty ritual that we do every year to give ourselves a slice of comfort in the world of suffering? Does this night have any more worth than lifting our spirits for a couple of hours like a good concert does? In a word, is any of this true? Is any of it real? After all, the story that we proclaim as Christians seems like an idle tale, seems like nonsense. The idea that the creator of the universe took on the flesh of his creation in order that he might make atonement for his image bearers by dying a brutal death on a cross and then raising again to life just three days later seems a bit far-fetched. This isn't even to mention the fact that he still comes among us now and gives us a share of his divine life through word and water, bread and wine. It all seems preposterous to and in the world we live. Tonight, we look these questions square in the eye and give our answer. 
Will we with gusto proclaim with our mouths that Christ is risen from the dead and believe that because he rises, all those who have died and will die in Christ will too be raised? Or will we throw our hands up in the air and decide that this Easter story isn't true and it's just a vain attempt at finding a slice of shallow comfort in a decaying world. What's it going to be? I wouldn't blame you if you find yourself swayed to the latter option. After all, we are constantly surrounded by news of disease and war, abuse and instability, sickness and death. Too often we feel as if these things ring out any hope we might have left. And I can't blame the disciples for thinking that the women's news of resurrection was utter nonsense, just an idle tale. After all, they had just witnessed their master and teacher beaten and scourged, spit upon, mocked, pierced with nails, and impaled by a spear. The possibility of resurrection, of new life, was the furthest thing from their minds as they were locked up in the upper room. If we're going to answer the questions that tonight poses with any integrity, we must grapple with the darkness that the disciples encountered and that we encounter. We cannot just simply sugarcoat the suffering that we face. Just don't look at it. In order to fully bask in the light of the resurrection, we must first look deeply into the dark. Maybe the darkness of this sanctuary last evening or this evening as the sun sets symbolizes the darkness you're dealing with. I know last night did, especially for me. The darkness of the cross. The darkness of failed relationships the darkness of a loved one's death, the darkness of a sin that won't stop tormenting you, the darkness of loneliness, the darkness of depression or disease. We all know it. So are we really crazy enough to believe 
that the darkness of death inside that freshly cut tomb really gave way and still in our time gives way to light and life? I think we are. Because why else are we gathered here tonight? I think we are crazy enough to believe that light conquers darkness and life conquers death, that love conquers hate, because deep down inside of every broken human soul is a glint of desperate hope. Desperate hope that believes we will find rest and blessedness. Desperate hope that refuses to believe that darkness and death win in the end. Desperate hope that trusts that the news the women bring is just wonderfully insane enough to be true. Desperate hope that clings to the flickering flame of that paschal candle like a shipwrecked sailor clings to any scrap of driftwood as the waves of the sea toss him to and fro. It is desperate hope that drove Peter to the tomb only to see the grave clothes lying without a corpse, making his way home amazed at what he saw. For what he and the women saw is truth. Who they saw is real and living who they saw with their eyes and touched with their hands is the same one we now see with our eyes and touch with our hands in the water and in the bread and in the wine. Jesus, our resurrected Lord. You see, the desperate hope of our souls needs this night. We need the candles and the flowers, the incense and the heavenly music because they remind us of the light and life that this night brings when our Lord bursts from the tomb. We need the baptismal remembrance that we'll do in just a moment. And we need the Eucharist because they give fullness where there is emptiness, forgiveness where there is sin, holiness where there is unholiness, and light, light in our lives where there is darkness. My friends, saying Christ is risen, shouting Christ is risen, is not some trite saying. It is our victory song. It's the victory song that has been sung by those who have gone before us in faith since that very first Easter vigil. 
It's the victory song that's been sung in times of war and peace, instability and stability, in death and in life. It's the victory song that we can sing in those times of deep darkness that will light the way back to our eternal home. This is not nonsense, my friends. This is not an idle tale. It's all true. It's all real. Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen.